The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review Austin FC's 1-1 draw at Sporting Kansas City. We'll also preview the very first home match uh, versus the San Jose Earthquakes at Q2 Stadium. We're also going to talk to Pam Cato of Craft Beer Austin about the local beer scene and its relationship to the local soccer scene. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and we're recording this a day earlier than we normally do. So this is Sunday night now, and usually this show comes on Monday, and that's because we're driving, the Bentley family is driving to the beach tomorrow, which, you know, I feel like there are they're beach people, there are mountain people, there are lake people, there are hiking people. I mean, we're definitely beach people. Are, are you a people, Landon? Do you, do you have a thing? Oh, we, we were definitely mountain people uh, growing up. We would do a week-long vacation in this, this like, crummy little cabin in Colorado every summer. And that was, like, the first 25 years of my life. Every summer, we'd go up to that cabin in Colorado. Um, I, I was never really an ocean person until I lived on the coast in Spain. And I think it was always, like... Uh, a little bit nervous around the ocean. I'm like, what's what's down there? I can't see it all. I don't like it. Um, but at, living on the coast in Spain with like beautiful blue water and like these amazing beaches, I I uh, came to really enjoy the beach. So I think I'm more of a beach person now, but definitely grew up a mountain person. As uh, as much as you can be in the in the flattest place in the world, the Texas <laughs> Panhandle. Yeah, the the mountains of the Greater Lubbock area. Yeah, I, I guess that reminds me when we were kids my parents we always took a vacation it was like a big vacation every summer and it was always a driving trip and i have three sisters and we would all get into this like an oldsmobile or a like a a large chevrolet car of some sort and you know and like all load in and we didn't have you know there were no ipads there were no you know we just had to like load in the car and and that's not... what they were called back then cars didn't have uh like a make name it was just the chevy car <laughs> the chevy car and we just like drive across the country and stop at snake farms and every <laughs> historical marker and all that stuff. So our travel style has changed. We will be driving as fast as possible, as quickly as possible, straight through to the beach tomorrow. But that's kind of that's, that's why we're a day early. And I think every, everybody's got a vacation style. And hopefully we're enjoying the fact that we can all get out and do a little bit of that again this I, year in a way that we couldn't last year. Absolutely. And I could see myself becoming a snake farm dad, actually. Um, <laughs> that's right. We'll, we'll see how that goes if we ever have kids, but I could definitely see that happening. Uh, I was also on vacation with my family over the weekend. We just met up uh, a little Airbnb house on a river somewhere, and it was outside of Waco. And I was thinking that that would be far enough outside of the Austin market to not be in the ESPN Plus blackout, and I was wrong. And so it was blacked out on ESPN Plus, but not close enough to Austin to get the local broadcast. And so I was scrambling like at kickoff time and found some like Google Chrome magic to change my location and got the Univision broadcast to start working. And so we watched the game in Spanish, um, which my family had no idea was going on. And I was trying to translate whenever I could for them. But I wanted to take that opportunity to uh, to give a shout out to Roger Valdivieso and Sonny Guadarrama on the Spanish language broadcast on Univision, it was, they're really good. So it, I think Austin just like lucked out all the way around on their broadcast folks. Cause we already knew 
or I, you and I already knew that the, the English language guys, Adrian and Michael, were doing a fantastic job. But I can confirm that Roger and, and Sonny on the Spanish side are also doing an excellent job. So good work, y'all. That's great. Well, let's talk about the uh, sporting KC match. Let's do it. So leading up to the game, it was um, maybe a little bit of seeing if we could get revenge for the last game when Alex Rain got the red card. See if we could finish the game with 11 players and actually come away with the three points that we thought maybe we deserved last time. Also the last game of this eight-game road stretch. So uh, finally getting to come home after this one. And then we weren't sure what lineup we were going to see either because there's some injuries. There's um, players who have played in other, other spots. And so we essentially saw the same... I say the same lineup. It was the same players as we saw against Seattle, right? It was it was the exact same eleven? Is that right? I believe it was the exact same. Yeah, it was the exact same eleven as we as we saw against Seattle. I mean, largely because Romagna was not quite ready to come back yet, um, and Danny Husen remained uh, injured along with Schoenfeld, so we had no number nines, which left Cecilia there too. So we had the same, yeah, same eleven players, and I believe in the same positions that we had against he, Seattle, or I, not. I, it was. Is, it, is this going to be? Is this going to be the, the the tip of the match? Yeah, I, 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 all, I thought it was going to be the same positions, but after watching the game, and then watching it again, it, they were in pretty different positions a lot of the game, and kind of in a formation that we haven't seen from Austin in, in the the attacking formation anyway. So, in defense, they were set up in a four four two with Cecilio and Pochettino up top. And so the two wingers, Stroud and Gallagher, would drop into the midfield in, in that straight line of four with Ring and Fagundes. And then as as they got kind of pushed back, one, one spot we got in trouble with Kansas City in the last game is they were playing it wide, and Lima would be tucked in so so narrow that there would just be a ton of space out there, and he'd have to cover a lot of distance to get back over there. And so with the wingers a little bit deeper, instead of Lima moving out, Lima would stay tucked in, and Stroud would drop in to cover the winger out in the corner there. And so I think that was kind of Josh's answer to to some of the problems we had with Kansas City last time in the defense. If looking at the attack, I kind of – assumed that maybe okay they're just going to kind of play like this this dual false nine there which they kind of did but if you watch back like the positions of players in the build-up it's almost it's like a four two 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 or really if you want to like get technical with it maybe like a two four two two and so you had ring and fagundes kind of even with each other in in the like the deepest lying midfielders and then the two fullbacks would would kind of play alongside them almost making a straight line of four and kind of helping build up possession there and then instead of Cecilio and Pochettino staying up top in the build up they would both usually drop in kind of in those like where you would see our dual tins in that 4-3-3 setup they were kind of playing there and then Gallagher and Stroud were kind of pinching in and playing up high and like leading the line there. And so it was kind of a, a strange setup. And then we'd, we'd give the ball up and Stroud and Gallagher would, would sprint back and Cecilia and Pochettino would be the ones kind of pushing up to pressure. And so it was this kind of strange rotation that um, I'll be very interested to see if, 
if Wolf plays with that some more, because I think it could be a really interesting way to achieve some of the things that Wolf wants to achieve. I don't know that we necessarily did it in this game very often, but um, it was definitely an interesting setup. Yeah, and one of the things Josh um, said that may lead to that, I think it was in the post-game press conference, he talked about the fact that both strikers may be out for a while, so they're going to have to be creative um, in the in the formations for sure just because of that, because they don't have a number nine really at all at this moment. Yeah, none right now. <laughs> yeah, so um, Austin ended up getting on the board first with a nice goal from Cecilio in the 26th minute. So uh, Kolmanich received the ball on the touchline and kind of drove forward. He played the ball inside to Gallagher's at the top of the box. Gallagher one touches it back to Kolmanich, who had cut inside. Um, Kolmanich picks up the ball, plays it across the top of the box into Cecilio's stride. Cecilio kind of touches it around a defender and then drives it low and hard, goes through Martins's legs, and then uh, goes right past Melia into the bottom left corner there. So a really nice finish in the end and, and some pretty nice buildup to, to lead to it as well. Yeah, it was a really beautiful goal from him. And I think that is, uh, you know, you're beginning to see uh, hints of kind of why he's the guy that we all thought he would be and is the, the biggest name on the team. So I think, didn't that also put him in the lead? I think it was his third goal, which makes him the leading scorer for the club. That's right. Um, yeah, I think it's at this point, right? Three for him, two for Fagundes, and one for Gallagher. Gallagher, right. I think that's, I think that's what we have. So, we're beginning to see moments, uh, especially in the last two matches, of why we all thought there was a lot of potential in Cecilio Dominguez, and that that was uh, a wonderful moment, one that he should have like let his hair down to fly <laughs> freely behind him afterwards in celebration to follow up on our last episode, but he did not do. Yeah, we can only dream. We can only dream. Uh, yeah, so later, the first half was a little bit back and forth, uh, pretty entertaining. Uh, Austin... Faced a lot of pressure late in the first half. A really great save from Brad Stuver in the 34th minute. And I believe a tweet from a friend of the show and leader of the Verde Keeper, release the Verde Keeper Kit movement, Brad Tillery, made a tweet about Stuver saving it with his quote unquote grundle. Uh, <laughs> and then in the 43rd minute, uh, another really excellent save where uh, I, I can't remember who was that made the initial shot, but someone shoots and it kind of pops up into the air. Shallowy comes in and tries to flick it, like lifts the leg up high and tries to flick it past Stuver. And he, I think he had that shot covered, but then it takes a deflection and Stuver does really well to react to that deflection and get a hand on it and push it over the bar. So really excellent save there. And just um, over the bar too, if I remember that one, right? Like it was, I, it may have even touched the bar. Yeah, I can't remember if that one did or not, but it was, it was still close. So to get any force on it at all was, he did really well to, to do that with, with such a short distance to, to, to react to that deflection. It was, yeah, really impressive. Uh, and then, and uh, I think just after that, Cascante heads a ball off the line, <laughs> um, and so a pretty pretty nervy into the first half there. Um, it was, yeah, I don't know. It's I still never felt like we were necessarily like losing the game or out of the game at that point, but definitely some some pretty scary moments. Um, I think the next good chance for Austin came after halftime in the 57th minute. So a 
I think we turned the ball over. Johnny Russell ends up getting a shot off, but it was blocked pretty easily. Off of that block, that blocked shot, we counterattack. It gets played out to Pochettino outside. He plays it into the middle to Fagu- or sorry, to Dominguez. Dominguez plays a long through ball to Stroud. Um, it's I think Stroud can't quite catch up to it to get it on goal, and so he ends up having to check back. He drops it back to Cecilio. Cecilio dances past two defenders. Uh, as he's doing that, Melia charges him, uh, and Cecilio tries to chip it over, and it was like just there. I think half the keepers in the league, that ball is in the net, or at least getting to the line. Maybe a defender could have saved it off the line, but Tim Melia is, is one of the keepers that you would – put money on to save a shot like that. And there's a lot of keepers in the league that you might not put money on to save that one. So um, really nice chance, but a, a really good save in the end for Melia. Uh, in the 59th minute, I think was maybe a point of contention with, with some fans. Um, Pochettino ends up coming out and his replacement is Lil Sebastian Berhalter. So I think you and I both saw some criticism online about uh, about this substitution. What what do you think? What would what did fans want to see there? Like, what did these people who are criticizing this want to see in that moment? I think the impression I got was that Pochettino was finally showing some signs of being dangerous in the attack, and you know he he and Cecilio had some good movement um, in the first half, and um, you know he seemed to really be dangerous and making a difference and so to take him out and replace him with a defensive mid which is what Burhalter is seemed like um it seemed early it was the 59th minute and it seemed like maybe not it seemed like they were just the plan was to sit back and sort of bunker down and hope that um Casey didn't didn't score the tying goal or didn't go ahead which I think uh, there was criticism the first time about how maybe they had played too passively in the second half and I feel like that that was just sort of people felt like that was coming up again and that they were playing not to lose and not playing to win by bringing in Burhalter. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I understand the point of maybe who you're taking out. So taking out Pochettino, um, if you think he still has energy and he was kind of feeling his way into the game and made a few kind of dangerous moves and some promising little moments. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking maybe Wolf just thought his legs weren't in it anymore. Um, And so who knows? Like maybe it was tactical. Maybe it was just an energy thing. As far as who he put in for Pochettino, I don't think he had any options. Like looking at our bench for this game, it's pretty thin. It was Rodney Redes, Aiden Stanley, uh, Will Pulisic, who's a goalkeeper, Freddie Kleeman, who's a defender, Sebastian Berhalter, Kakuta Mane, Andrew Tarbell, another keeper, Manny Perez, and Johan Romagna. So as far as like actual midfielders, really, Berhalter's the only one you could put in. So if you're going to take out a midfielder, there's no options. It's Berhalter or you play someone out of position, essentially. And so, um, yeah, I, like I, I think you could criticize if you think Pochettino has the legs to to keep going, I could see you being upset with taking him off at that point. But as far as who you're putting in for him, that's really the only option. If, if Pochettino's coming out, it has to be Berhalter going in. Uh, and then at that same moment, uh, Manny Perez comes on for John Gallagher, which 
I think Perez is the only other person that maybe you could have put into midfield. I think he has played some more centrally in, in his career before, but if you're bringing them both on, then again, only options there really. Um, I think also, I think uh, Chris Wellhausen was kind of criticizing this and wanted to see Mane come on instead of Perez, or I think he just wanted to see Mane come on for someone. Um, again, I think personnel wise, if Mane is your only quote unquote forward on the team at that point, you got to kind of like keep your powder dry and like wait and see if you can actually play him somewhere else at some point. But I also am not sure that Wolf trusts Mane to put in a defensive shift. And so if you're going to put him in on the wing, I think you're better off putting in um, someone like Perez, who is probably an overall better athlete than Mane as far as just like being able to track back up and down. And then also like kind of the um, just the skill set to be able to do that kind of work as well, because I'm not sure as as dynamic as Mane is going forward. I don't know that he's going to put in the kind of defensive shift that Wolf wants from him in in that scenario. So. Um, yeah, I, I see the criticism for it, but I think there's pretty good reasons for all of those subs. And especially when you look at how thin the benches in those scenarios. Yeah. But I think the, the thing I saw, I think there were set like 17 healthy field players. Yeah. 17 like total. When, when you get there, there's not a lot you can do for sure. And uh, I mean, shout out to Perez for being a guy who was just a guy, right? I mean, I don't think nothing was made out of his signing or anything. And he, he looked pretty good in this match for, for who he is and, and what he can do. I mean, I think people would like to see a little bit more out of a little bit more time for him. I mean, I know I would, and I feel like maybe we should have one or two more guys like that at this point to help f- fill in the spaces with as thin as we are. Yeah, absolutely. I, we definitely need some more depth. I mean, if we had everyone healthy right now, I don't know that it's a, it's as big of a deal. Cause we, I think we have six or seven, players out injured right now is it six yeah and so if all of those guys are in the team we're not talking about depth really we've got it but um yeah right now it's it's tough to to do that and yeah I think you're right Perez had a pretty good showing in this game I'm curious to know how much of that is fresh legs versus tired legs in that heat in Kansas City and how much of it was actually a really solid performance by Perez but I I think he did well enough to definitely earn like he's going to be in, in Wolf's mind essentially or in these coming games. If he needs to put someone in on the wing, I think he'll, he'll be in Wolf's mind for sure. So we will probably get a chance to see some more of him in the near future. Uh, in the 63rd minute, I think there was a penalty shout. There was kind of a deflected ball that bounced off of um, Cascante's arm. Did, do you remember that? Did you think there was anything in that? It definitely hit him in the arm, but it was wasn't it like it's like going away from goal at that point, right? Yeah. It was a deflection, so it didn't it did not um, really seem to hitting him in the arm did not uh, like have a real effect on whether that ball was going to end up in the net or not. Yeah, and I, I think if if that ball had been going forward toward the goal, I agree. I think it's a penalty, but yeah, it was a deflected shot bouncing backwards and like pretty close to him and pretty quickly. I think that was a fair shout not to not to give the pin there. Um, in the 70th minute, we saw the next two subs, which was uh, in the Mane for Cecilio and Redis for Stroud. Again, I think at this point, we're just, okay, who's run the most and who do we have? All right, go. Um, 
And so at the, whenever Burhalter comes on, you, you heard Wolf say this in the press conference that they started in like a 4-4-2 and then moved to a 4-5-1 when Burhalter came on. And I, I watched that again and it really was Burhalter was playing deeper than Pochettino was. And it was kind of a really tight three in the midfield with the two wingers dropped back deep. And so it really was kind of a 4-5-1 with Cecilio alone at the, up, up top. And then... Um, yeah, later on, we'll see when Romagna comes on, it turns into a five, four, one. And I think at that point it was just like, okay, we're just going to take the draw at this point. <laughs> we're not right. We're not right. Anymore. Uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So 71st minute, um, there was a few deflections. I think Busio takes a shot from outside the box. Uh, Stuver has to kind of it, his shot takes a deflection is kind of trickling towards the goal. Stuver has to come off of his line and is challenged by um, Johnny Russell. So he's not able to get a clean save on it. And it bounces right into the path of an on running Daniel Shallowy who finishes it into an open net, open net to even it up. Um, I think I was watching with my family who don't know a lot about soccer. And I think that's kind of fun sometimes because they ask questions that make you think about things in ways that you wouldn't normally. And I think my mom was like, why didn't, why was Stuver like off of the line there? He should have just stayed back. And it's like, that's a moment where if he doesn't come off that first time, then Johnny Russell has an an open goal. So it's like, pick your poison at that point. Right. And so Russell does a good enough job to put a good challenge in that he's not able to save it, which leads to it falling to shallow. He has an open net. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm not sure. I, I would need to watch it back again to see if maybe someone should have done a better job on maybe tracking shallowy there. But I think in the end, it's a little bit just unlucky from the deflection, not to say that Kansas city did not deserve a goal. It just didn't necessarily have to be that one. <laughs> yeah. That's where I feel like, especially the second half, Kansas city created so many opportunities that one of those was going to end up being a goal. And this, just happened to be the moment when the stars aligned and Stuver wasn't perfect for once and, and they managed to put one past him. Yeah. Um, not long after that, uh, Stuver gets another really big save on Johnny Russell. And then just after that, there was this really amazing, uh, string of sh- string of play that I think Stuver comes out and jumps super high to punch a cross out of the air and gets taken out. I think it's Cascante, his own player, who takes him out, and he flips over and lands on his back. He has to scramble up a few seconds later, makes a save and parries it away, and then like a second after that, makes another save and catches the ball this time. And he's just laying on the ground holding his back at that point. And that was a very worrying moment, I think. (laughs) Well, it was always worrying because of how good Sewer's been playing but I believe that was also right after Romagna had come on so it was I think it was a Stuver was out and we had used all five subs moment I ooh. if our during, during the watch I, I think the, I think we did still have one sub at that oh point. did we still have one I sub? don't okay. think Romagna had come on yet okay because um, for a minute I was like we're out and like Diego Fagundes is gonna have to play keeper which would be terrifying that could have been the case but I I'm pretty sure that happened before Romagna came on but yeah, <laughs> who would be the guy who goes in goal if if we had to put someone? Hmm. 
I think Beasler would give it the old college try. He, 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 he'd give it the best effort. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, let's not like think about Be- that. Let's not Beasler, think about that anymore. Lima, or Ring would be like the best, the best candidates. I'm basing this on almost nothing, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope, let's hope we never have to see it. Um, yeah, so he gets up. He ends up being fine. I think after that, I mean, Kansas City had several more shots and several more opportunities to score goals throughout the rest of the game. Um, on Austin's end, Manny Perez has a decent chance on a counterattack that uh, he tries to slot into the far post. Redes looks pretty annoyed that he didn't get past, the, like that Perez didn't pass the ball to him. Do you think he had reason to be annoyed there? I didn't. I don't think that pass was on. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think he was just frustrated. Maybe he's just frustrated by something else. But that, I think Paris made the right call in that moment. Yeah, to go for the shot there for sure. I, I, I think it was Martins. Whoever was tracking Redes on the back post did a really good job of kind of cutting off that angle and playing a couple of steps ahead of him, so he couldn't like bend one on the floor around him to Redes there. I, I don't think that one was on. So I don't know that that Rodney should have been upset there. Uh, a few minutes later, almost the exact same scenario happens with Perez alone in on goal. And he does cut it across to Redes. Um, I think it's, again, Martins who gets a foot in on him. And Rodney maybe should have buried it there and ends up putting it wide. I They didn't show a very clear replay here. I think there was maybe a shout for a penalty but it's hard to see exactly what goes through there. Do you think that that one was 100% Rodney should have scored there? Or do you think it was uh, an honest an honest miss? So watching it live, I feel like 100% Rodney should have scored there. I did not go back and watch the second half again. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the moment, it sure seemed like a goal that he should complete. Yeah, it's like I said, they didn't show a very clean replay of it to know exactly what happened there. In any case, I think he should have done better. I think it's like degrees of how bad the miss was and not the miss was bad, but I think it's degrees of how bad, like he should have either should have done like at best case scenario, like could have done better and worst case scenario absolutely should have done better. But in any case, it could have been better. <laughs> um, yeah, and then at the 90 minutes is up, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe like three or four minutes, forgetting that they're doing hydration breaks in this game. So we get seven minutes of stoppage time. And I'm like, oh, God, he has how many saves is Stuber going to make in these seven minutes? I don't remember how many it was. I guess I could have looked that up. But uh, yeah, Austin ends up holding on for the draw, which felt almost like a miracle at that point it yeah it felt like a really good result i think you know even josh said in the per, the press conference this is before he got a question just in the opening statement he's like yeah we we got a point that many people would say we might not should have gotten from the way the game went um on the field yeah so some stats to kind of paint the picture a little more clearly austin was out possessed 60 to 40 percent which felt that way watching the game for sure. Um, expected goals. Kansas City had four to Austin's 1.73. So I guess the bright side, a higher number than Austin's been getting in the last several games. But 
Um, I think the the next stat that I'll read makes the four expected goals seem low almost, but Kansas City had 32 shots. That is amazing. And do you remember? Oh, yeah, on on target was 11. And so I think in the last game, I think they outshot us like, I don't remember how many we had, but it was, they had something like 15, 16, something like that. And so they essentially doubled their shots on us this time and got 11 of them on target. Stuver ended the game with nine saves, which is, I think we've said this a few games in a row now. Like it's amazing that Stuver is, is performing so well, but we don't want him to have to do that every (laughs) game. Um, I, and I think Phil West, in his article for the striker, um, I think the way he described it was an extreme version of bend but don't break. And so, like, yeah, we'll let you shoot, but we're not going to let him go in. And somehow it, it kind of worked. Like, I don't understand how or why, but our defenders on the back line did a pretty good job. I don't know that many of the shots were necessarily their fault. I think we got tired legs as we went on and our pressure wasn't as good. And so Kansas city just was kind of working the ball into really good areas and getting shots away. So, but I think there's lots of deflected shots, lots of blocked shots. And then Stuver stood on his head, like he has done several games. And I think all those things combined is what kept it to one, one. I don't know that was necessarily a lot of really bad misses by Kansas city. I don't remember many that they just straight up missed, I think there's either um, blocked, deflected, or saved by by King Bradley. So, uh, yeah, how how do you feel about this result? Is it are we lucky to get out of it? Was it well earned? Like, where do you place? The, what category do you place this result in? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with lucky. I felt like it was gonna turn out just like the other the last one well, we're gonna have we're gonna have early goal and then just sort of wilt under the pressure of what Kansas City was doing for the next would have been 65 minutes or so this time but um I never felt really good about it especially during the second half like I was just wait just waiting for the first goal to happen and then when it did I was just waiting for the follow-up because Stewart was just like you said he was standing on his on, on his head and he did talk in the post-game press conference about you know, a lot of blocks, um, which I think we may get into a little bit, but you know, why, where do we, why do we get outshot so much, you know, and why, why is Stuver, uh, you know, ending up with so many saves and then also like Gascante cleared one off the line. I think Beasler had several, several block shots. Like what is it? The players, the system that's leading to that. Um, I think a little of both, like the system is going to give up chances because, if they're trying to push high and possess the ball and kind of play on the counter sometimes like they do, you're going to give up space in behind, which is going to lead to shots. Um, I think also you could say players. I And again, I don't know that it's necessarily all on. You, you think like if you say like this team's defending is bad, you think those back four, right? I think those back four have been quite good. I think it's the rest of the teams defending that's putting those guys in tough situation combined with the system that Austin's playing that is putting those back four in tough situations. I think given the circumstances, those back four have done quite well. And so as far as defending goes, I think they're performing better than the rest of the team is in their defensive duties. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think it really is a combination of all of these things and then add on 
uh, a thin squad and playing in the heat and getting tired and not being fully fit all the time, it's going to lead to a lot of shots. So what was your, what was your impression of, the, of that point? Uh, do you feel like that was deserved or I think, how, how do you feel about it? I think luck definitely had a lot to do with it, but I think this is a scenario where the harder you work, the luckier you get because it really, Austin really did grind in this game and played, they played ugly and like, you have to learn to do that, right? Like we'd rather them learn to play pretty first, I think. (laughs) Um, But in moments where that, like that's not working or, you know, that's not going to work. You don't have the personnel or the legs to play pretty. Let's just sit back and grind and and get this point and go home. And that's what they did. So I think there's credit to be given there. Um, so yeah, lucky, but also I think they worked super hard to, to get that point and to save that point. So, um, some, some wasted opportunities by Austin for sure. So, um, I think there's probably two or three moments that either could have or should have turned into goals that didn't, or at least a shot on target that didn't. Um, so definitely some, more wastefulness on Austin's part, but uh, you you can't question their their heart and their work going into this. I think there's other things that could be criticized and should be criticized, but that's not one of them at this moment. I I think it's fair. the 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 finishing thing that's like another question I have because I only know myself and other Austin fans, and I feel like in some ways sometimes I'm like every time we have a chance we should convert it, and every time the other team does like we should stop it, and so. I mean, are we worse at finishing than, than than the average club? Or do you think it's just, is that like a, a homer's opinion that every time we have a good opportunity, we should put it in the back of the net? Uh, or, you know, I mean, what do you have an opinion on sort of that? Yeah, attitude? I think we're not, I mean, we're not creating that many chances to begin with. And so I think the ones you miss feel even worse because it feels like that might be the only one that comes. If you're Kansas City and you're shooting 32 times a game against us and you miss one, you're like, ah, whatever, that's fine. We're going to do it again in a few minutes. But if you're only getting a handful of shots on target per game or a handful of shots per game and you're not burying the the ones that you should, I think it just feels heavier in those moments. So I think the bigger problem is chance creation and not so much the finishing. If you create more chances, statistically, you're going to finish more of them. And then I think you could talk about confidence and kind of the psychology of that as well. If you're getting more chances, you're not so nervous about taking one. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the the emphasis should be more on creating chances and less on the lack of finishing so far. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And uh... Josh did use the phrase again. I think we were trying to talk that we tried to come up with last week when we were talking about Alex Ring, and it's a lack of ruthlessness. I don't remember what we said it was last week, but that was not the word we used. But he, he Ring talked about that uh, in terms of finishing, and Josh mentioned it this week too. So that's kind of his take on it. But in, yeah, I think you're, I think that's what it comes down to. It's just there's not enough chances being created, which makes everyone so so important. It makes me a little bit. It makes me feel like being a U.S. national team fan when they would play, when they were always outmatched, you know, and they were like sitting back and playing the counter and then you just had to nail every chance you had or you were going to get blown out. And we're yeah. getting a little bit of that, a little bit of that right now too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
so in the in the kind of aftermath of this game, I've seen a lot of Austin Austin fans floating Brad Stuver's name for the All Star game. So he had a career high nine saves this this week, as I mentioned earlier. Um, he's been fantastic. I, again, you could say like if we were facing fewer shots, then he wouldn't have to be so good. But it's definitely highlighted his his performances for sure. Uh, and he mentioned in the press conference that he's been working essentially his his whole life. I think someone asked him like, "Are you surprised to like at, at how good you're performing?" He's like, "No, like I I knew I was good." And if you ask Claudio and like my coaches in the past, they'll all tell you the same thing. There's like Brad was waiting for his opportunity. And so none of us are surprised that I'm performing well. Like I believed I had this in me and it just needed the chance because playing behind Zach Steffen and Sean Johnson in his previous club, like those guys are fantastic. You're not going to get many opportunities if you're playing behind them. And so coming into this new club, he got that chance and he's, he's taking it and run with it. So I, I mean, I don't know if Stuver will get a shout for the all-star game, but if he keeps performing like this, I don't see how you couldn't at least consider him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has to be. I mean, he ends up being, we, this is something we've talked about. He ends up being the man of the match for Austin FC, like in, in every single match because of the pressure they put him under. It was funny. One of the other questions that came up is somebody asked him about whether he would want to play what he thought his opportunities were to like prove himself to play for the national team. Um, and, he, and he was like kind and laughed and, but ultimately it came back to like, yeah, Zach Steffen and Sean Johnson are also Americans along with a lot of other people. So that may be yeah. more of a challenge than, than, than he can overcome. Yeah. All right. So in the, not just this game, but looking at this part of the season overall, we've got eight points in eight games on the road. Um, is that good enough? Sure, it's good enough. Is it is what we <laughs> hope for? I mean, I think back to a few weeks ago when we talked about how many more points we're going to get for these. What was the over under that Chris set was like? Bill set was like four and a half for the next. Oh eight, yeah, four matches, and and a lot of people thought that we would do more than that, and I think we ended up picking up two I think points. Just two, of, yeah, just two out of those. It was these two ties because we lost. Yeah, we lost to Nashville, um, and we lost to to LA. So I think. We probably haven't. We probably weren't as good. I think what that means is we weren't as good as people thought we were. Yeah, going into that stretch. But yeah, eight points in eight eight games um, leaves us just outside of the playoff race with a whole bunch of home matches to come. So I think it it is good enough, um, and it's not disaster. Yeah, I I looked at the I skipped twenty twenty. I looked into twenty nineteen and twenty eighteen and looked at the last team in the Western Conference to make the playoffs and looked at what they were doing at home in a way. So in 2019, FC Dallas was in seventh place, the last spot in the playoffs. They got 2.1 points per game at home and only 0.7 points per game on the road. And so we're ahead of schedule for that right now. RSL in 2018 got sixth, which was there was only six teams that made the playoffs in each conference that year. Um, RSL finished with 2.2 points per game at home and again, 0.7 points per game on the road. So in order to, uh, in order to match that pace, Austin only needs to get four points from the remaining nine road games. So we need to get 0.4 points per game on the road in order to, um, to essentially finish above those two teams. 
where those two teams were. And so if you look at it that way, on the road, we're actually in, in pretty good shape. It may not feel that way just because of if you're seeing all of the bad parts at once. Uh, it doesn't look very good, but if you extrapolate that out to the whole season and then assume that we're going to perform better at home, then we're actually in a pretty good situation. Um, that being said, it's not guaranteed that we're going to perform better at home. I think we will to a degree. The energy will be higher, not traveling. Um, the schedule is going to get easier coming forward. So um, yeah, I, I think you can assume that it will definitely be a little bit better uh, during during this home stretch. But uh, in all in all, I think we're in decent shape. Uh, like I said, competition-wise, the schedule is going to get easier. You have to think about more players coming in over the summer. And then playing at home is going to be this big energy boost. So overall, I think Austin FC is just fine right now. I don't think there's any need to panic. I think we can be content for the moment. I think um, we can reassess after a few home games. And if it's not looking any different or any better, then maybe we could panic a little bit that not necessarily panic, but be a bit more critical at that point. And then after they bring in the designated, the designated player, however many players they're bringing in over the summer, I think by August, we'll have a pretty good idea of what this team should and can be. And I think that's the point in the season where, uh, yeah, we'll just have a, a more complete picture of what this team is. I think what you can say is like they haven't played themselves out of the playoffs yet. Yeah, no, right. absolutely there's still, not. There's, there's plenty of opportunity in, in front of the club, and so hopefully they'll do that. There's also the the being more familiar with the system and then Josh being able to install more variety too as, as the club gels that hopefully will allow them to get better. So it's probably not, you know, it's not like the LAFC Atlanta United dream opening season that everybody wanted, but it's a really good start to the season for a first-year expansion franchise. Yeah, good good enough at least. All right, let's move on to a few little points of other Austin FC news before we take a break. So uh, one little bit of news that came out over the last couple of days is that Ake Loba from Monterey, who had been rumored to be coming to MLS, and we had talked about him potentially coming to Austin. There's been a more specific rumor saying that he is coming to MLS, but it's going to Nashville instead of any of the other clubs that were rumored. So it looks like that one might be a done a done deal in the negative way is in like, we're definitely not getting him, but um, yeah. So we'll have to watch the horizon for, for other rumors coming through uh, another. And one of the most interesting things that happened the last week is that uh, La Morga and the supporters groups uh, had another song and chant practice at the stadium. I think there were close to 500 people there this time. And there was uh, some, some pretty interesting social media reaction. Wasn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of people on social media, I guess, that think that I don't remember who said this, but that like good songs and chants just happen by osmosis or something. You don't you don't need to work on it. So there were Phil West uh, tweeted, I think, from the practice, just just you know, fans singing, and it was really loud and vocal and seemed kind of exciting, and uh, got a whole bunch of quote tweets. I don't know if he quite got ratioed uh, in in Twitter <laughs> terminology because there were a few of support, but yeah, there were a lot of people from. Dallas and Columbus and places that don't actually get a lot of support with a lot of strong opinions about the support in Austin. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think several people pointed this out, but essentially people think that if something is good, then it's not authentic. 
and only bad things can be authentic, which is like, I understand how you think that. And I, I think a lot of people see things like this happening in the stadium where you need cooperation from the front office and from the club. And I think they automatically assume like, oh, this is organized by the club. This is organized by the team. And they're just like kind of inviting fans in to do these things. But it's definitely not the case. This is planned and organized in conjunction with the club. But the driving force behind these rehearsals and events like this is definitely the supporters groups and, and La Morga. And so I think in that sense, it's as grassroots and as authentic as you get. As far as the songs going out, it's the the club's not handing out song sheets or anything. This is all fan led. This is all supporter group led, and so yeah, I don't know. I, I it there was a lot of um, definitely a lot of negative, but it was really encouraging to also see a, a lot of people not in Austin also saying like, "What are these people mad about?" Like, I think this is fine. Like this, there should be more groups in MLS doing stuff like this, and you saw a lot of that as well. Um, one thing that I like a message I would like to give to Austin fans reading all of these things. If you, Jeremiah, if you think back to like the original Twitter wars, like in the, like during the save the crew stuff, you look at what's happening on Twitter and because we live in this kind of in this world, it feels like that is what's happening in the entire world. But like living through this whole experience, you look back and be like, oh, there was relatively few people paying attention to any of that. And so as many people as there were saying negative things about that, I think on June 20th, the day after the first home game, there's going to be an exponential number more people looking at the atmosphere that's being created in Q2 Stadium and talking about how impressed they are with it. And so that's just, I guess, like um, a message of encouragement to Austin fans, like looking at all these negative messages, like it seems loud and it seems big, but it's a pretty small number compared to the people who are going to look at what these fans are doing and be extremely impressed with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and so we saw a little bit of that. So the so we had the watch party. There was a watch party at the stadium on the 12th. And again, huge crowd there. And they showed them on TV. But then the awake fans um in kansas city on the 12th just like the away fans in nashville did like and it was not a huge group but they were like they were going the whole game right uh, when you watch it on tv in the moments when the sporting kc fans stopped chanting you could hear the two dozen or so like austin fc fans like like oh that's dolly atx right that's all yeah. right all right like you can hear the chance and i think that's unique and i know i saw some reverse criticism from kansas city fans are like why how, how are we letting 30 people from Austin, like be heard on a national TV right. broadcast. And so that's really what's being created. And I hope everybody takes that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To, to be heard like, yeah, th these Kansas city fans were essentially saying like, this shouldn't happen. Like you should not be able to hear them on our broadcast. And yeah. So I, I think, I honestly do think that MLS, like, I think there's a handful of people who are maybe paying enough attention outside of Austin to know what's coming from these Austin fans, but I think the vast majority of people are going to be blown away by what they see on June 19th and in the home games after that. Cause it's, it's going to be something pretty special. Um, yeah, so 
before we get into the interview, let's talk about uh, the other thing that we saw on the 12th, uh, beer and beer prices uh, inside the stadium. Yes. <laughs> so it turns out that beer in the stadium is expensive. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, yeah, really. Like it was, it's what, $10, $11 for a can, I think $15 for a tall boy. Um, and a lot of people seem quite taken aback by that. And that's a fine, there's a fine line there. I mean, you can have lots of people who are like, yeah, that's a professional, you know, it's a professional game. Like you're there to make money. Like you're just going to pay like these, these prices are not out of line with, you know, what you see at other stadiums across the country. But I mean, it does make it feel like a little bit of that. It's a product that is being sold and less like a community that's being creative Yeah, because of those prices. And I mean, I don't, I don't have to like pay the mortgage payment on Q2 stadium. So like my opinion is very different, maybe from the person who's in charge of that. But I mean, it does, it does make it a little bit harder to connect when you, when you see things like that. What, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head. I, I like compare, like from a, a business perspective, like supply and demand, right? Like this stadium is sold out. There's an enormous waiting list. The people are going to come and they're going to spend money there. And they, you got them trapped in that box for two hours. They're going to buy a beer there. And so essentially you can charge whatever you want, but I don't know that it's necessarily like the best faith thing to do to charge as much as you want necessarily. And then as far as beer selection goes, um, I think, I don't know. I like, I, I don't know where to fall on this either. There is some local beer available, like local, local craft beer available, but it seems like it's a little bit hard to find. And when you do find it, it's extremely expensive. And so, and then also they're calling, um, Carbach, Carbach, cra yeah, craft, craft beer. beer. <laughs> At a lot of the bars around the stadium, Car Carbach is the craft beer option. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll say to, to Brian Mangum that you were right. And that <laughs> I was maybe not, not necessarily correct in, and believing that there would be great beer options in the end. There's still, like I said, there is still some decent options around. You can find craft beer here and there, but with the price and kind of the difficulty in finding it, I think craft beer fans have reason to be a little bit disappointed. And then just like your general fan has reason to be disappointed just because of how expensive it is to get concessions in there. So I think that's something that is, is probably a little bit disappointing for most Austin fans. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So do you want to, um, take a break now? Yeah, we'll take a quick break. We're going to be back with Pam Cato from craft beer, Austin. We'll talk a little bit about the Austin beer scene and his connection to Austin soccer. Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. And I also saw a lot of uh, Los Verdes members out uh, enjoying a 
bike ride to the stadium last weekend with tacos and coffee provided by the good folks at FVF Law, which they seem to be enjoying and sustaining them through the course of their ride. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks to FEF for being a part of the soccer community and listeners. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right. We're excited to be joined by Pam Cato of Craft Beer Austin, who's both a beer aficionado and a season ticket holder for Austin FC. Pam, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And thanks thanks for taking time out of your vacation to to join us as well. Oh, no, I'm I'm happy to do it. All right, so tell us a little bit about Craft Beer Austin and how you got involved with the local beer scene. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I've always been into craft beer, uh, you know, long time ago, most of us got into craft beer through European beers, right? Because we didn't have a whole lot of craft beer in, in Texas. Um, but I've been around a long time and been enjoying the scene for a very long time. And the owners of Craft Beer Austin kept, kept running into me at events. And one day they asked me, they were, uh, say, you know, we were at, I think it was Circle Anniversary Party. And they were like, would you like to write for us? And I was like, I would love to do that. So I started writing for them back in 2015. And then in 2016, I met up with Tristan Chan, who owns porchdrinking.com, which is based in Denver, but it's a national blog, and became a writer for them as well. And then in 2019, Porch Drinking made me a Southwest Regional Editor. And in 2020, uh, my husband and I bought the bought Craft Beer Austin from the original owners. So that's kind of the evolution. And so how, how did soccer play into that, too? Because I know you, y'all you are also both long-term soccer fans and I believe season ticket holders, too. So where does that love of the sport come from? Yeah, so I got into soccer on my own when I was in junior high, and I started watching World Cup soccer. That was always the thing I liked the most. And, of course, um, my brother played soccer. My dad coached soccer. Um, so, you know, it was part of, part of our family. But um, I became obsessed with watching World Cup soccer, and I've done it every Every single World Cup since got into the Gold Cup, all the CONCACAF tournaments. Um, obviously, Women's World Cup is my favorite. That's amazing. I don't really follow the EPL very very closely, but the Champions League has always been um, real fun to watch. And now that we have our own team, it's super exciting to finally have not only a professional team in Austin, but where the location of the stadium is. And people don't realize we have a lot of soccer fans in Austin. And I think you all know that. You see that. Your fan base is huge. Um, you've, we've all seen pictures of the watch parties. Tons and tons of people are coming out for it. So I think it's uh, the perfect pairing. You've got Brewery Central. And then you've got um, the stadium right in the middle of all that. So those two things are just going to go hand in hand perfectly. Yeah, so you mentioned the the brewery district around the stadium there. There's six or seven breweries within a mile of the stadium there. I think this soccer team and that stadium are going to be a major boon for for those those breweries. Can you tell us a little bit about what this team and this stadium is going to mean for the breweries around there and then what we can expect from these breweries on game days? Yeah, I mean, it's already happened. So, you know, when the stadium was announced years ago, you, I think you probably heard that Circle was expanding out to Elgin. And I think their original plan was to, you know, close down that tap room. 
Well, when the stadium got announced, obviously they pivoted, they changed, they're right there. I mean, you can see the stadium from the brewery. Um, so that was immediately a change uh, to make that into a tap room and a destination for soccer fans. And then their neighbors, Hub Squad, are, you know, obviously giant soccer aficionados. Uh, so that was always part of their plan as well. And then it's real. what I think is funny is um, some of the breweries that have been around that are in that area have been there, you know, for a very long time, like a Delbert, and never planned to really have TVs. It's not, it's not always, you know, when you go to a brewery, it's that whole idea of community, camaraderie, you know, you talk to each other. It's not a sports bar, right? And so I really love how everyone has pivoted there's still not a sports bar. It's still got the com community camaraderie, but they're putting on these really big watch parties and attracting this whole new crowd of people, in my opinion. It's giving them more exposure um, and it's getting uh, a whole different set of people exposure to craft beer. So everybody's excited about it. Again, breweries, the, the big thing about a brewery is all of that kind of community aspect. They're, they're, community with each other the breweries help each other out all of the time um so it's just sort of the perfect fit and so right there you've got oscar blues i know they're doing watch parties stella's brewing um it's not closed people they are wide open they are doing great <laughs> they have some big tvs they're put in a, a beer garden um it's a great place to go uh fourth tap same thing they've uh they're big soccer fans you know the, i've been talking to the owners of fourth tap since the very beginning, um, oh, yeah, I, super I think excited. I met I think I met John at like one of the the community engagement meetings during the city council days. And I was there one day. I pop by Fortep all the time and hang out with those guys. And um, I was there one day when the uh, the supporter group showed up with stickers and T-shirts. And that was a long time ago, a couple years yeah. ago. And I, I I knew that they were so excited. Uh, to be part of it. So yeah, they, there's got, and then of course, Fairweather Cider is right next door to Fort Tap. Um, right. Also, also going to participate. So, um, and then of course, uh, the Austin Beer Works just announced, I believe it was two weeks ago. If you want to find out though, you can go to craftbeeraustin.com and read the article. It's on there somewhere. But um, a couple weeks ago that they are going to do a special can for every home game, which is a super cool thing. They're not going to make a, a, a totally different beer each time. But you'll get a collector can. They'll be limited to 500. They go on sale the week of the game. So uh, look for those starting this week. So tomorrow you can swing by Austin Beer Works. They're only available at the tap room. So that's a pretty cool project. So I yeah, love to really see cool. the, the creativity that's sort of coming out from the breweries um, around beer. It's very exciting. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned circle. So uh, the beer works deal, and there's some really cool artwork on it, and that's with uh, I believe Austin Anthem, um, and Circle has one too. Have you had an Austin Am Anthem ale yet from Circle Brewing? Oh, oh, of course, most definitely. Um, in fact, I've got uh, one of my writers working on an article about it. So uh, we want to do a write up. I know that um, that Los Verdes is doing collaboration beers with a bunch of breweries. Um, I've started that discussion with some of the local breweries as well. So yeah, we want to be um, in the know, we want to make sure our readers know, we want to make sure the fans know, um, but definitely. And I saw they're doing a cool can for it too, right? Changing it from the black to the green. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah. The the Austin Anthem Ale is going to be, in, I think, in green. Um, I don't know if oh, it's right? like every game week or this. Or... 
The can. I haven't seen the that can. yet. That's the cool. can's in green. No, the, the, beer, yeah, the yeah. beer's not green. Yeah, <laughs> the beer's yeah, not, not green. Beer. It's not St. Patrick's Day, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the can is too. Yeah, and Pam, like as somebody's working on the Los Verdes Collaborative, there are a lot of moving parts, and uh, we're all volunteers. But we'll have some more information from you for you on that very soon. But almost everyone in the brewery district is like going to be a part of like brewing. I think it's it's like one common. Um, recipe with different names like in one set of cans so there will be more more to come on that one soon too oh yeah for sure and i actually uh talked to mike about it i believe it was a week ago i was being on vacation i lose track of time but um and started i've already started reaching out to the brewery so definitely as they get released as uh, you know i'm asking for quotes from all brewery, you know why are they doing it why is it important to them um what do they think about all the matches you know being and what are their plans for match days? So yeah, it, it's definitely going to be uh, an interesting collaboration. Yeah, it's uh, some of our favorite things that we've been hoping would would come together for the last several years. So it's very cool to see the craft beer scene and the soccer scene kind of joining forces in this moment. Um, so later on this month, uh, Moon Tower Soccer and Pam Cato are joining forces to to put on a little a, a little live event. Can you give us a little bit of details to our listeners uh, about that event? Yes, of course. It's uh, going to be Wednesday, June thirtieth, from six to seven p.m. and it'll be hosted at Fourth Tap. Um, and we'll have a live panel discussion uh, with yourself and Adrian. And the topic is basically going to be uh, kind of an open discussion on the, the MLS in general, the soccer team, uh, anything people want to know. So it'll be not, not really the basics necessarily, but just a good introduction to kind of what's going on with the Austin FC. And then, of course, there'll be an open Q&A. So if the audience has questions like, I don't understand offside. What did they change the rule? Like, how does it work? We can answer those questions, too. Yeah, we're we're really looking forward to that. We we got to do an event um, like that with Adrian Healy not too long ago, so we're excited that that he's gonna take some time out of out of his busy schedule to do it again. And we're looking forward to doing some collaborations with you as well. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a, a fun event. I think we will probably end up doing more of them. Yeah, hopefully so. Well, Pam, once again, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to join us. Um, you can find Pam's work at Craft Beer Austin. Is there anywhere else you want to plug, Pam? Uh, CraftBeerAustin.com is really where we post everything. Uh, we share it to our Instagram. We share it to our Facebook. We do a weekly event posting as well, and it also includes new releases. So um, we're trying to cover all the bases so that people know what's going on in terms of uh, the beer scene and the soccer um, events. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah, you heard it here. Check out Craft Beer Austin. Pam, thanks again. We hope we'll, hopefully we'll get to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, we want to thank Pam one more time for joining us. Jeremiah, you want to jump into a quick preview of the game against the San Jose Earthquakes? Yeah, I do, and the San Jose Earthquakes are probably one of the most fascinating franchises in the history of the league, and I would encourage everybody to do their own um, research on them and um, just to give a little bit of background so uh, their roots trace back to the San Jose Earthquakes of the North American Soccer League in 1974 so I believe they have that 
in their logo or in their crest, I think there's like a like a founding date, um, and 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 at least some of them. Um, but the modern version was one of the charter clubs of the league, uh, founded in 1996 as the San Jose Clash, which existed for a while and then relocated to Houston uh, in 2005 and began play as the Houston Dynamo in 2006. And so that for a couple years there, um, there were no there was no San Jose club, but the San Jose they returned to the league in 2008 as the Earthquakes and have existed ever since um, under that name. But it's it's kind of been a wild trip. Yeah, which the whole them moving to Houston thing made it pretty rich when Dynamo fans would try to make Austin fans feel guilty for quote unquote stealing a team. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But they were it was just given to them. They, they didn't <laughs> they didn't have a choice. But yeah, I know. I don't. There was there's some very small semantic difference on that. Um, you know, in recent history, the hiring of Matias Almeida uh, in 2019, and I actually took this line from MLSsoccer.com, which is it. It made them one of the most interesting teams in the league, for better or worse. They have a <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have a very the way they play is. Do you maybe maybe you could talk about that a little bit? You know, like the way that they play is uh, fairly unique in the league. Yeah. So they essentially what Almeida has done at any team he's he's coached is essentially a man marking system, and so you hear about man marking occasionally where we're like, okay, they're going to defend in a four, four, two or like a four, two, three, one. And this player is going to man mark their number 10 and follow them all over the field. This Almeida takes this to the extreme. Every player matches up with a man and follows him all over the field. And I think they leave like maybe one center back free. That's not marking someone. Everyone else is literally chasing their player all the way around the field. And so you'll, if you watch, just watching film or like watching games of the earthquakes, pick a player as they're defending, and you'll literally see Jackson Yule or whoever it is. They'll, if their man runs from one corner of the field to the other, they're going to follow them the whole way. And so you have to be really fit to play. For Almeida, you have to be really bought into it because if you're going to work that hard, you better believe in what you're doing. But it's a, a pretty bizarre way of of playing, and they've done it to varying degrees of of success. But I think for, as you said, for better or for worse, they've been extremely entertaining. And I think um, Joe Lowry wrote a piece for MLS, <clears throat> MLSsoccer.com last week picking out one statistic that told the story of every team in the league. And for San Jose, it was expected goals for and against San Jose are both 1.5. And so it puts them in the top five in the league in both of those categories, which means I, I think he said that they should invent a stat that is XE, which is expected entertainment. And <laughs> San Jose's XE would be Always extremely the high. They'd be leading the league for sure. I love that. Yeah. So his first year in 2019, they were awful. Uh, second year in 2020, they got better, finished eighth in the Western Conference because we had this weird year where basically everybody made the playoffs, um, eliminated in the first round by Sporting Kansas City. Uh, this offseason, they added, I think, several players that had some experience with Almeida, um, most prominently Javier Chopis Lopez, uh, who has history with him in Mexico, um, is one of the leaders of the attack uh, and probably the most. Well, not probably. The most significant departure was Nick Lima departing to Austin. So that's kind of what they came into the, came into the season with. Had very low expectations. Uh, got off to a hot start and won three in a row after dropping the first match to Houston. Um, and they currently sit six in the Western Conference uh, right now. And 
I looked at like total goals. I think they have the second most. I think they're tied with Houston actually for the second most total goals scored um, for and against by any club in the league. So they're kind of they're living up to expectations uh, at this point so far in 2021 too. Yeah, for sure. And as you mentioned, uh, Chofis is probably the highest profile guy they brought in. They brought in a couple of other people, but uh, Cade Cowell has been another big story this season. I think he's 17, 18 years old and uh, has has had some pretty big moments um, up front for them. Also still have Chris Wondolowski, who I believe is, is he 38 years old now? He is 38 years old. Yep. And has still scored, scored some like crucial goals for them this season. And so he may come on for 15 or 20 minutes, but he might score two goals in those 20 minutes. And so he's Wando doing Wando things as always. But um, yeah, so I think as far as what to expect from this game, we have no clue because as we mentioned before, on a given day, they can be amazing and beat any team in the league. And on another given day, they might lose 4-0 to the worst team in the league. And you just never know what you're going to get from them. Um, I, does that does that bode well for Austin or not? I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, yeah, I don't know. It should make for an entertaining first match. And so before we hit the close, I think, what what's your what's your like June 19th game day plan? Like what, how do you expect your day to, to go that day? I'm still trying to figure it out. The transportation is the biggest part of it. I want to get into the area early. So we don't have to worry about traffic. I want to be able to like get some food, get some beers. And I think I want to get into the stadium early. I just want to be able to get in there and just like kind of soak it in, sit in our seats for a while and like maybe let the nerves pass and just kind of enjoy the moment for a bit before the game starts. But uh, I think transportation is kind of the biggest question mark right now, for sure. Yeah, for us, we it's like we're again we're lucky to live close to the red line, so we're going to take the train down. Uh, my twelve year old and I are going to take the train down in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, we actually did a dry run uh, today. We he he didn't have a jersey, so we went to the Verde store and bought him a jersey, and then we drove over to the Kramer station and kind of walked out the Kramer station to Hop Squad Walk to make sure he was comfortable with that. Um, and then we'll plan to join, you know, there's supposed to be a March of the match that so we'll probably leave the hop squad circle area around five 15, um, and try to get down there a couple hours before the match. So I expect that we, we will be a part of that, uh, walking carnival on game day one. It's sort of our plan, but I just, it's gonna, I just, I can't, it's like surreal to think that it's here after all this time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to make sure that I'm giving myself the opportunity to enjoy it all as much as I can, cause it's going to be hectic. Uh, do you know what time that March the match is happening? Has that been solidified yet? Yeah, so it's, I think it's like 5.15, 5.30. You know, people move slower than in a pack than one would think. So they're trying to get, one, we want to get folks in the stadium early. And then two, you know, Austin Police Department and um, Transportation wants to get the marchers across Breaker Lane in time to not really mess with the traffic close to game day, too. So there's a, there's... All you know, every reason in the world to get people in the stands early or to to the stadium early for that. Yeah, absolutely. So if um, if you're going to be at the game and you want to join that, you can find any of the supporters groups, social media stuff. You'll be able to find details on that. Or if uh, you're a member of the supporters group, you'll find it in your respective Slack channels and also on the social media stuff. But it's going to be an experience. It's going to be something pretty special. Uh, I I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. It's a thing that we've been waiting for, for years at this point, And I kind of can't believe that it's here now. 
yeah, it just it just like snuck up all of a sudden after all this time. It's like, oh my gosh, it's less than a week from now. We're gonna we're gonna do this for real. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? No, let's go ahead and close it out. All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it helps us grow our audience, expose us to more people. If you have a friend who likes soccer, tell them. We think they'll like our show. Uh, we also want to thank all the people who have left reviews. We have now sent out all of the stickers. Uh, I still need to make that donation to the food bank. I'll get that done tomorrow. But um, yeah, we saw some people posting the little the little notes and the stickers on social media, and that's it. It warms my heart. So thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for caring enough to to do any of this. We we are honored to be a part of this community, and um, yeah, it's. It's amazing how far it's all come over the last couple of years. So to to have like these connections with some of these people who we haven't even met in person yet, we we hope to meet all of you in person one day. But uh, but yeah, th- that's a, a really special moment. So th- thanks for sharing those. Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving those reviews. And thanks uh, for wait, Landon. One thing before you get to that, because we know Chris Wellhausen doesn't listen this far into the show because he was surprised by the people getting stickers. So is there a, <laughs> yeah. is there a note you would like to leave for Chris that you know that he won't hear or? <laughs> Oh man, um, Chris, you were you were wrong about the uh, the substitutions. Uh, you, bringing on money that early would have been a disaster. Okay, perfect. There you go. All right. Uh, <laughs> if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at lviahero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore atx, and then you can also find us at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Again, we're going to be doing a live event with uh, Pam Cato. And is is that does that have a name or is it connected to a specific organization that we want to plug here, Jeremiah? I think it's believe it's just called Happy Hour and Soccer Social. Okay, uh, and we will put that in the in the show notes um, on the Striker Texas, and then we'll start tweeting it out too. But this the it's free event, but there's an Eventbrite to sign up. Just at Fourth Tap knows how many people to expect. Yeah, we've got at least one one or two more episodes coming out between now and then. So check out social media, but we'll, on the next episode, we'll have some more details as well. But put that on your calendar for now. Uh, other media appearances, Jeremiah was on Mayor Adler's podcast this week. And I think that's supposed to come out on, is it on Tuesday, Jeremiah? Is that yeah, right? come out, yeah, to come out on Tuesday. So the same day you can listen to this, uh, you can also listen to the mayor um, on his Walk With Me Austin podcast. And I think one of the most interesting things he's going to talk about is how early he was approached, how early and how many times he's approached by Don Garber about um, a, a like a, a professional team in Austin, which to me was was a little bit of news about, uh, I think like 2015 or something is when it started, oh, which wow. was earlier, earlier than I'd ever known. Je- Jeremiah and I have genuinely not talked about this yet, so I don't, I have no idea what y'all talked about on that show, so I'm like actually very interested to listen to this. Uh, so check that out on Tuesday, same day this, is, this episode's going to come out. Uh, and then... We'd like to encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Is there any articles you want to specifically mention, Jeremiah? Yeah, we we uh, talked a little bit about Phil's tweet uh, about practice and fan reaction to it. And Phil wrote a whole article about uh, his tweet about practice and reaction from around the league, both positive and negative. So that's a really good piece for y'all to all to check out if you want to get the whole story on that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will cover the latest in Austin FC news. We're also going to review the San Jose match, the first game at Q2 Stadium. And then we'll preview the June 27th match against the Columbus Crew, which, again, we'll have a lot to talk about on that one, too. But again, going to this match, 
drink it in, enjoy it. It's going to be amazing. Can't wait to see you all there. We'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.